I'm Kyle Rode, and this is the Rebel HR Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Rebel HR is a podcast for HR professionals who are ready to make some disruption in the world of work. Follow us online on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, rebelhumanresources.com, or follow me on Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. All right, listeners, I am thrilled and excited to uh, introduce you to Jennifer McClure. Uh, Jennifer is the CEO of Unbridled Talent which is an education, coaching, and strategy consulting firm. She is the CEO and Chief Excitement Officer of Disrupt HR, which is near and dear to my heart. She's also the host of the Impact Makers podcast. Check it out. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, the person who started Disrupt HR who's been disrupted along with the rest of the world, (laughs) right? (laughs) Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to join you. Absolutely. Thank you. Jennifer is also a a sought-after speaker. She's done over 200 different uh, keynote speaking engagements, and um, she's she's all over. So um, I would strongly encourage you checking her out on social media. Uh, Just get connected and follow and learn. Uh, We can learn a lot from Jennifer. So uh, Jennifer, I just I think uh, probably best place to start would be why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, your organizations and your focus on the world of work. Well, I spent about almost 20 years of my career in the corporate HR leadership and um, recruiting kind of worlds. So I was uh, uh, started as an HR department of one, you know, did the whole kind of progression through the HR ranks, ended as a VP of HR at a company that was a turnaround situation, um, brought on for kind of a cultural and financial turnaround. And that was a lot of work, a lot of fun some days, not not fun some days, uh, but really learned a lot and uh, learned a lot about myself. And when we sold the company, I kind of, uh, maybe it was a little burnt out, maybe it was a little, I'm ready for what's new, what's next. And so I looked for uh, what could possibly be ahead other than corporate HR for me and ended up in executive search. So I went to work here for a firm in Cincinnati called Centennial Inc., um, where I was an executive search consultant for three and a half years. Also got an executive coaching certification during that time. And during that time, um, because I had been in a period of transition and people had been really helpful to me with meeting with me and kind of helping me think through my journey, um, I had decided to give away 10% or so of my time to others to try to help, to give back. Um, And so since we were an executive search firm, uh, I gave my time away to senior executives who were in career transition and just had them, you know, come in the office. They could practice interviewing. We could go over their resume. And I started showing them just to try to give them some value other than the the meeting. Uh, I would turn my screen around on my computer and show them how to create a LinkedIn profile because this was 2006 timeframe. So LinkedIn was still relatively new and um, so showed them how to create a profile, use it for networking, um, and just, you know, how to use LinkedIn. And from that, it turned into either those executives would get hired and, you know, go to work for a company, or maybe they were in some sort of organization supporting them in their job search. And they started inviting me in to, to speak to those groups, whether it was about, um, LinkedIn 
or I had kind of a networking story going from a classic introvert. I have no network. I don't go talk to people to I had to engage a coach to teach me how to do that. So I shared a little bit about what I would learn there. And then, of course, just recruiting in general. And so that turned into enough where I was getting enough speaking requests uh, that was not my full time day job that I started charging a little bit for that. And then ultimately decided that was what I was really passionate about. And what I wanted to do was to teach and to help people to grow and love the different interactions. So in 2010, started my own company called Unbridled Talent. Lessons learned, name your company something like ABC Corporation or Acme Corporation, because no one will be able to pronounce any other word in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> or spell it. <laughs> Just last week, I was on a podcast and she said, Jennifer McClure from Unbridled Talent. And I'm like, Unbridled is not a word. I don't know why people come up with that. <laughs> unabridged, unabridled, any any other word than unbridled. But uh, I was combining my two passions, which are horses and people and talent. And so I thought it was clever and a friend suggested it. But um, so for the last 10 plus years, uh, that's what I've done. You know, I'm an educator, a speaker, trainer. I do some executive coaching still. Um, and my living the dream life was being out traveling the world, meeting people. I spoke at Iowa Sherm a couple of years ago. Um, would love to come back and in person <laughs> someday soon. <laughs> someday, yeah. And then, you know, in March, uh, you know, my world and, and what I did mostly for a living change like a lot of people uh the other piece of my existence is disrupt hr um we started that here in cincinnati in december 2013 and it um again pre-march had grown to 157 licensed cities in 37 countries with over 5,000 talks out there online that people have given sharing their ideas with the world so disrupt hr is on pause right now jennifer is pivoting or I don't know, I'm doing cartwheels like a lot of people, you know, how can I add value in a world where uh, both what I love to do and how I've done it for the last 10 years has changed. That's not unique to me, obviously. So every day is an adventure. That's that's uh, where I was to where I am. <laughs> you are an amazing speaker. So I actually the first time I heard you was at the Iowa Sherm conference. Um, oh. And I remember it hit me hard because you were kind of not poking fun, but you were very blunt about, hey, if you think, um, you know, bringing a new applicant tracking system to your organization is strategic HR, you really need a wake up call. Yeah. Um, so now it's funny because every time I think about, okay, what have I accomplished this year? Where am I at? My mind goes to, what would Jennifer say about this? Am I going to oh, be I on? Love a, that. Am I going to be on a joke <laughs> on a stage? Um, so <laughs> that's kind of my measure these days. Am I good? That's great. Am I going to be a joke on stage? <laughs> we don't want that. We want you to be the example of the good angels. <laughs> yes, that was very impactful to me. I'll never forget it. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. I And I think, Molly, you, you touched on something that I wanted to ask about, and that's HR as the strategic partner. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we struggle between this dichotomy of tactical and administrative duties, but then I have an executive team who's asking me to be strategic. And um, so, so as you're helping HR professionals or executives work through their people practices, uh, what 
tips or tricks would you say? How do you stay strategic in an HR role? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, thanks for asking. It really is, I think, around mindset. Am I strategically focused? So that's, you know, the the keynote that Molly was kind of referring to when I kind of poke fun at HR leaders who have said, well, I'm a strategic HR leader. I'm, I'm you know, I want to work in a strategic role. And I, I always kind of ask them, what does that mean? Because I, I don't think, I think they've grabbed a buzzword and, and tacked it onto their job title. Um, it's more about thinking strategically. So thinking strategically means that I am thinking about the business needs first. Now, I've had pushback from people going, well, wait a minute, aren't people first? Of course, people are first because people are the business. You know, the the business can't achieve its goals. It can't succeed. It can't innovate. It can't change without the ideas and the horsepower of the people within it. So, you know, thinking strategically, really from an HR leader standpoint is, if the goals of the business are to increase top line revenue, to improve customer satisfaction, to uh, improve deliverability, quality, safety, um, you know, keeping people safe in the world of COVID, um, then we need to think strategically about how to accomplish those objectives through people. So what that means is, again, if the goal is to increase top line revenue, then what do we need to do in order to really ensure that the people are equipped and trained and the right people in place on the bus uh, to deliver on that? And so that's where I get into HR is uniquely and intimately involved in every organizational objective. Although you could look at many, you know, scorecards or however your organization tracks, tracks its objectives and you would say, well, there's quality measures, there's sales numbers, there's, you know, customer satisfaction. Where is the HR? The HR is strategically helping the organization to deliver on that. So, you know, the, that's a long answer to your question, but it's really approaching every day with a strategic mindset of what am I working on today? Those tactics, those deliverables, those everyday tasks, are they helping us to achieve? Can I draw a direct line to, um, you know, open enrollment for benefits to helping increase top line revenue? Yes, you can. You have to think really strategically to do that. But, you know, having the right people in place that are, you know, given the and afforded the benefits that they need to take care of their families so that they can be fully focused on work, that is strategic. You know, so it's really about rethinking strategic from, uh, again, I don't even know what when when some HR leaders say I'm, I'm a strategic HR leader. I hope that means that they're focused on the business needs. Um, so. I encourage and challenge HR leaders, you know, especially this time of year, we're rolling into even in a, oh, it's a crazy, crazy time. I assume that the annual kind of budgeting and goal setting process will begin in the fourth quarter <laughs> and a lot of people will be starting over, you know, OK, well, what do we do in this sort of unknown frontier or clean slate or where our complete business has been up, upended? And I really challenge and encourage HR leaders in particular to make sure that the goals and objectives that they set for themselves, as well as for their teams, that they can do that exercise of saying, can I draw a line to this to the overall goals and objectives of the company? If it's just, you know, if it's just deliverables, HR deliverables, um, and they aren't really supporting the bigger objectives, then those are things that you're not going to really get credit for. You know, you're not going to get recognized as a strategic partner. You're not going to be invited into the, 
the high level discussions about what we do as a business because you're over there checking boxes off on your HR scorecard. You know, we need to be thinking about, do I have five to seven objectives for my team that are driving results for the business? We do love those HR scorecards, though. They make me feel oh, like I'm doing something. <laughs> the more color coding, the better. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Red, yellow, Red, green. Yellow, green. <laughs> I just want green. <laughs> I bet a lot of people are doing purples and oranges now going, we need some different colors for COVID times. <laughs> Oh, I just had this argument. We were doing a nine box assessment and it's like, I need something right in the middle. Can we, you know, it's like, let's, yeah, let's create another, let's make it an 18 point scale. Yeah, look at <laughs> you being disruptive. I've got a 12 box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we shut that down. But I, I think that's, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. We had this this argument in one of our previous episodes about the whole quote, seat at the table uh, conversation. But I think that's a that's a great example if you're if you're adding value through your perspective to the business. You don't have to try to edge someone out to get a seat at the table. They're just going to ask you to be there. Yes. I mean, and and I've seen that throughout my own career and with, with other leaders that I've worked with and coached, you know, that seat at the table, of course, we all love to make fun of that phrase, is a position on an organization chart, which, yes, I mean, if you want to be the top leader in your organization, then by all means, shoot for that in your career progression. But that does not mean that other people in the company don't have a voice. And if you're someone who's coming up with good ideas, supporting the goals and objectives of the company, helping the leaders of other teams to achieve the goals and objectives of the companies, then they're going to want you in those meetings. They're going to invite you. They're going to you know, look around and say, hmm, we need somebody who's got some fresh ideas. Let's call in this person that's not on the organization chart in the top position. Um, because that's what gets you the invitation is the ideas, the willingness to contribute and the ability, which I think a lot of us, uh, HR leaders and a lot of leaders in general really should double down on that. How do we approach healthy conflict? How do we have meetings and discussions where people are sharing ideas and disagreement occurs, or I disagree, or someone disagrees with my idea, and we use that to fuel better outcomes. You know, so am I taking that disagreement, really fully understanding the other person's position? You know, why? what is it that you disagree with? Is there other information that I can bring you? Is there data that I need to bring that I don't have that can support this? Instead of getting into and we see it all around us, obviously, not just in the business world, you know, just, okay, I'm digging in and I'm going to fight for my idea rather than fighting for the best idea, the best outcome, which may not be. And and really, you're blessed if it's not your original idea. If through the group, your idea is made better, that's a win for the organization. And again, back to thinking strategically, I'm about business needs first. I'm not about my ideas first. Yeah, I think we see so often that it's kind of the blame game, right? Like, well, I don't have that seat at that table. I can't make an impact. There's nothing I can do. And it's really frustrating for me to hear that because I believe no matter where you're at in that organizational chart, you can make an impact and you can um, bring your ideas to the, to the table. So I would completely agree with that. I think for a lot of leaders, it's an excuse. Yeah. Um, you know, let's be clear, there's a there's a small percentage of HR leaders who work in companies where they're not respected because the leaders have had a bad experience with HR, or their approach to it is that. And if you're an HR leader who wants to do great things and be listened to and heard, then move out of that company. You know, 
easier said than done maybe right now, but make that part of your long-term plan is to find a role where you can contribute. For the other 99% of HR leaders who say that, um, it's really about, you know, if you were to ask that person, well, what is it that you've proposed that they've not agreed to, you know, or what ideas have you shared? And if their responses are, well, I'm not in the room. Well, then how can you get creative? You still have ideas. You still need them to be heard. Um, you know, what can you do to make that happen? I was listening to a podcast of yours. It was also very impactful to me. And from my perspective, you know, there's a lot of times us in HR, we feel like we can't make any traction. We can't, we can't, we have these ideas, but we just can't push it forward. And that concept, I think it was called the power of three was really impactful to me as you got to get other people on board. I did a Disrupt HR talk for Disrupt HR Chicago on how to start a movement. Uh, and then I did a podcast with using that and sharing about the story of HR. And it's from, actually, again, this is how ideas happen. It, it from an original video that was shared on the internet many years ago. I saw it from Seth Godin, but I forget the guy whose name who originally shared it. Uh, it was a guy uh, probably had had some festive beverages at a Sasquatch festival, wherever the Sasquatch festival is, <laughs> on a hillside. And he is standing alone amongst people laying all over the ground. And he's just dancing like a person who's had a lot of festive beverages has had. Uh, and then, a, you know, some seconds later, another person who's probably had a few festive beverages comes up and starts dancing with him and they both look goofy and foolish. Uh, and then a third person comes up and, you know, what Seth Godin and others have said, that's when it becomes a movement. So the first person is just the lone nut dancing by himself. The second one makes it, you know, two lone nuts. The third one makes it a movement. And so, you know, having an idea, a crazy idea where you might just be out there in the field dancing alone. Yeah, you need to get somebody else on board with you. But then it could just be that the two of you think it's a great idea when you can get that third person to kind of step in and start dancing with you. Then that's where things really take off. And, and I, I use that with Disrupt HR because, you know, I, I always say Chris Ostich, my partner, business partner, um, he is credited as being the founder because the idea was mine or a, a, a portion of the idea was mine over lunch where, you know, he was asking me kind of, you know, what what do you want to do in the future? And I was like, I'd like to someday have a conference in Cincinnati where we invite cool people who aren't the same people that end up on all the same stages uh, at HR conferences and events who share ideas that maybe aren't being heard at those conferences or events. Or maybe there are people who never want to speak on those stages, but they haven't had an opportunity just to stand up in a fun format and share it. And so that was just me kind of like vomiting an idea out there. <laughs> and Chris was the one that, you know, he was the organizer of Ignite uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, if you've heard of Ignite, those are the five minute, 20 slide, 15 second talks that are done in communities around the world where people share ideas. And so he left that lunch meeting and then called me and said, let's do this. You know, let's use the Ignite format. Let's have, have, you know, some cool people in Cincinnati come and give talks about anything they want to related to the workplace or the future of work or whatever. Um, and so he is the founder because he took that idea and made it happen. But I was there. I was dancing. I was the lone nut. Uh, <laughs> he came and danced with me. But then Mary Faulkner, who is in Denver, Colorado, uh, the Disrupt HR Denver uh, leader out there, uh, she came to the first Disrupt HR Cincinnati because she was speaking in Indianapolis, which is like an hour and 45 minutes away. 
the next day. And so she'd flown in from Denver and I was like, oh, Cincinnati is like just a quick drive. You need to just drive over <laughs> Come to our event. And she did. And she really enjoyed it and asked if she could do the same thing in Denver. So, you know, would Disrupt HR have been a thing without Chris? I don't know. You know, I have lots of ideas. They don't all happen. Um, and, you know, my, my love is to be out speaking and, and traveling and meeting people. So would I have taken the time to step aside and say, I want to create a conference in Cincinnati? Yeah, who knows? Likely no. But, you know, Chris was the second dancer who came in and said, uh, I like this idea and I think we can make it happen. And then Mary was the one that really kind of lit the, you know, took that spark and, and applied the flame and. And then it was in 157 countries around the world. So very good homework, Molly. <laughs> Power of three. <laughs> I tell you know. everybody, she is the talent. I just, I just set, I just set up the meetings, and then I just let her run with it. <laughs> um, no, it's just it's been very impactful in me and my HR world because now whenever I have an idea that I want, like I, I think this is going to be amazing for our organization. I'd be sure to find those two other dancers. So. Two crazy people, yeah. So yeah. If you just, I mean, if you, you can find the, the post, or I'll share you the, send you the links. You can share them in the show notes to both my talk and my podcast about that. But you can also just Google, um, I think it's like Lone Guy Dancing or something like that. And you can, it's it's a really grainy old video, um, but you'll also see a post by Seth Godin, and I forget the other guy's name who originally shared it. But um, I love that concept. Yeah, I mean, Having an idea where people think you're crazy and laugh at you is one thing. If you can get another person to do it, then people just laugh at both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Getting that third person on board, then people, then everybody else got up and started dancing. So it's like, okay, this is actually, I can do this because it's safe now. For some people, it's like, it's safe. There's enough people doing it that I won't stand out or, hey, this must be fun. I want to jump in on it. Um, so how can you find those opportunities in your organization, your career and in your life? In our world, Kyle's the lone guy dancing. Patrick <laughs> and I are saying, sure, we'll come over for a beer. We'll get on board with this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny parallel that it took it, three of us founded Disrupt HR Cedar Valley. <laughs> you keep dancing, Kyle. <laughs> hey, you know, I just, I'm just here to have fun. You know, we, we only go around the globe so many times, right? Let's just have a good time. Uh, Molly, you're you're right in sync with me. So I, was, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about your blog post about can regular people like you and me change the world? Because I, for me, I love that that sentiment. And, and I'm a strong believer that we all have the ability to impact something every single day, good or bad, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your perspective on, on driving change. Yeah. How do you drive change? It really comes back to uh, relationships. If you're going to, again, if you're going to be anything other than the, the lone guy dancing, uh, you got to get other people involved. Um, so how can you develop relationships? And um, in my most recent podcast episode that was shared last week with Steve Brown, um, taking a people first approach with Steve Brown, I believe is what it's called. Steve mentioned something as well, you know, that it's not, a, he said, it's not about the seat at the table. It's about a relationship. Um, you are not going to get people to listen to your ideas. You're not going to get them to support you with the next crazy thing that you come up with if they don't trust you. And sometimes trust is required when they think you're going off, you know, into left field. You know, okay, well, I'll follow you just because I know you've been right before. You know, <laughs> So if you want to drive change, with another person, you know, it might even be your spouse um, it, or people in the organization or your partner. 
um, you really have to have the trust, you know, so that's, that's the long game is how do I work on helping other people get what they want? And I take that back to being strategic. If you remember, I said, it's about business needs first and how is HR supporting not only those business objectives, but how are you supporting the other heads of departments and achieving their goals and objectives, which again, should be tied to the overall. If you're doing that, then you're helping them to achieve the organization's objectives, but you're also building relationships. You know, I want I want to get, you know, Molly or Kyle in the room because they can help me make this happen. Um, you know, so how do you get your ideas heard? You help other people get accomplish what they want to get accomplished. One of my favorite quotes that I share, you know, <laughs> anytime I can by Zig Ziglar, and I don't have it exactly, is, you know, you can get what you want if you help enough people get what they want. Um, and so, when you want to call in those chips or ask a favor, have you invested enough time with other people that they're willing to give your crazy idea a chance or that they want to be on board because they know that you are thinking about the organization first? And so, you know, this must be something that I need to, to be involved with. So driving change is really about relationships. Changing the world is too. <laughs> if, if you can just kind of sum up your perspective in that blog post about what can you do to change the world that is by the way my favorite disrupt hr talk i've given and then i wrote a blog post about it because i thought it was good (laughs) um (laughs) what can you do to change the world i think we all have unique experiences and challenges uh, that we've faced or overcome or that we're going through and so you know that's the reason for naming my podcast impact makers and although i do talk to a lot of people who are human resources folks or um, you know, from a people perspective, because that's a lot of my network. I also talk to a lot of other people, you know, ministers to former ministers. I, I, I joke about that I have something, I have like five former ministers on my podcast. I'm like, this is not a podcast about everybody leaving the ministry to go change the world. <laughs> but it, it's about what what is it that you can connect with someone on really is how you can change the world. So I think in my Disrupt HR talk, you know, it's like, well, you know, I don't have anything to contribute because I'm just starting my career. What are you learning as you're starting your career? What can you blog about, share about, write about, you know, from the interview process? You know, what worked, what didn't work? You can help another person who's going through that new job interview process. What if you're a person who's been fired and you're like, I can't help anybody. You know, I've lost all my credibility. What did you learn through that process? What can you share with people? You know, what are the What are the um, takeaways that when you've come through that, that you can tell people it will get better and they'll be able to believe you because you've been there, too? If you're a person who's been divorced, you know, um, just saw on Twitter over the weekend, somebody who's recently divorced kind of reaching out on Twitter saying, you know, please tell me that this will get better. Everybody who's been through that process can change her world by telling her it does get better. You know, so it's it's not, you know, I think when myself included, when we think change the world, we think, oh, we have to invent the next iPhone or the vaccine for COVID. You know, yes, those people have and will change the world who do those great big things. But really changing the world is impacting one other person's life. And we all we do that uh, unintentionally and intentionally. You know, we hurt people 
unintentionally and intentionally. So we're impacting them, we're changing them, we're changing their world in ways of doing that. My hope and my focus is on helping leaders to think about intentionally changing the world. What do I bring to the table? What can I share with others? How can I, you know, reach out to people in need and impact their lives? We all have the opportunity to do it. I've made them cry, podcast listeners. (laughs) 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 They're just sitting here. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) As a speaker, I heard I was listening to a speaking podcast this weekend. It's like, you know, this person said she had four core objectives and one was to make them cry. I'm like, yes, Uh, (laughs) because as a speaker, it's really not it's about not about making people cry. But for me, it was always if if someone was crying while I was speaking or they come up afterwards and they share, you know, the story that you told touched me or in fact, what you're really trying to do is to touch people, to to reach into their heart. You know, for some people, they might show that with tears, but uh, I want to impact you. I want, you know, as a speaker, that's my goal. I want to share something that impacts you. As you said, Molly, so that you still remember or that you've got Jennifer in your head going, <laughs> are you being strategic today? <laughs> you know, um, and you're not a joke. I want you to think like that, that you're not going to be a joke in her talk, actually. No, I don't. <laughs> hey, but I, I, it's about impact. So there's, you know, some people will visibly show that you've impacted them. And then there will be people who come back to you years later and say, you may not know this, but you did this or you shared this or you sent me something Um and here's the impact that that had on me. I I, I totally get the whole like I want to make people cry thing, but I <laughs> but it's uh, for me it's more I I, I grew up uh, wanting to be a musician, and so when I do like when I'm speaking in front of groups, I just view it like another performance, and it's like I know it's like hitting home if if somebody's like visibly excited or you know yeah. I don't necessarily want people to be sad, um, but you know impacted, and I, I think it comes down to just authenticity. Mm-hmm. and and honesty and for me it's always just telling a story that really resonates with someone that mm-hmm. uh that they they can connect with in some way shape or form so yeah I get well that. i think you hit on that as a speaker and even as a leader in the corporate world or where you're trying to again push through your ideas or share ideas you hit on it that's the key what's the story you know for a speaker it might be telling a story for the point of sharing and, and creating impact for you in a corporate job who has an idea and you want to try to get two other people to dance with you what's the story of what it could look like you know if we did this what will it look like or what's the story about how it's been successful somewhere else or what's the story about why you know because that's how you engage people that's how you get them to connect with the idea Certainly, and especially in, in uh, the business world, you need data as part of your story, you know, so hopefully you can weave a beautiful story with data yeah. <laughs> because people are going to want those proof points. But there's a huge difference. I mean, we joke about it all the time. People stand up with the boring PowerPoint slides and read the slides to the room. And within those slides might be a lot of great data, but people either check out, zone out, or they don't care, or the whole time they're thinking of their argument as to why this still won't work. If that person can get up with the same kind of bones of what they covered, and it's told in more of a story, you know, here's the case today. Well, here's the problem. Let me describe it to you, what it looks like. Here's the idea. And if we implement this idea, here's what that could look like. That's a journey that people stay with you on in the boardroom through to here's what that could look like. 
And then they have to think about, well, what can I argue about that? Okay, well, they might argue that I don't like that outcome that you shared, but back to if I'm a person who ultimately wants the best idea coming out of the room, then I'm like, tell me more. Why don't you think that outcome is the right one? What do you propose instead? What's the story you want to be told? Stories are the magic. Yeah, just to add to that, I think something that you both do very well, and I think some speakers and leaders miss is just not having is is not being clear, like clarity in the message, clarity in the vision. Um, for me, that's huge. I struggle with with people that are just unclear. Yeah, and I think as a, a keynote speaker, helping other speakers um, or leaders who are again sharing ideas. I think if you start with what's what is it that I want people to take away, you know, so before I create a keynote talk, um, I start with what's the takeaway? What's the big idea? You know, so for my most popular keynote, which I guess will be retired now because it sounds silly, the future of HR. You know, <laughs> Everybody's like the future. <laughs> I'm still dealing with the present. But that talk was created. You know, it's the one that, that you've referred to, Molly. It was created with the idea that I want HR leaders to leave that room thinking that I have the ability to make a change and to strategically impact the organization from wherever I sit. You know, as a new HR leader, as a CHRO, that if I think strategically, if I know the business, if I develop my influence, if I solve business problems, then I will be making an impact in my organization. So that's where, you know, that's where it actually starts. So then I say, well, if that's the outcome. How do I tell that story to get people to engage? What's the big, that's the big idea. So, you know, to your point, it's, it's what's, what's the big idea, even if you're just going into the latest executive team meeting or where you're making a proposal or to your HRT meeting where you're trying to get people on board with a new idea, what's the big idea? And then what's the story and the path to get them there? Molly, I, I don't know that I agree that I always have a consistently clear message, but there is always a message. <laughs> Sometimes you it can get there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Your audience Sometimes is sitting we're... out there going, he's going to get there eventually. Yeah. Where, yep. where, where are we going on this journey? I think Molly thinks that about me a lot. But thanks hey, but for the you tell some jokes along the way, so it works. <laughs> I, I worked in this the turnaround, my last role. I mentioned uh, when I started there, I joined as part of an all-new executive team, all, all of us but one were, were new. Young CEO, first job as a CEO, first job out of business school, basically. And so he was like an energetic, visionary leader. He had a vision. He convinced me to come and join and be a part of that vision. And it was a wonderful journey. But... He was, you know, because he was weird and wacky and, you know, things, there was a lot of bumps along the way that were just created by his energy and enthusiasm. Uh, when we sold the company, I stayed a little bit longer and the person who had been the COO became the CEO. So a, a former peer friend of mine now became my boss. Very data driven guy. The smartest person I've ever met still to this day. So, you know, there's nobody that could compare intellectually with him. And so I used to tell people, it's like, if we were going on a journey and I was following Greg, I would know that we may or may not get there, but we're going to have a great adventure along the way. With Jason, I know we'll definitely get there because he knows the way and the right way to go. But I might choose to go on the journey with Greg, <laughs> you know, just because sometimes it's like I'll choose the adventure over the known outcome. 
Um, you know, and I think as leaders, that's I'm not advocating that leadership style at all, but um, there were some real positives about following a visionary leader. The good news was is that at the time they worked together. So you had the visionary leader and the person who was the practical, um, you know, hey, let's think about that idea for a minute person. <laughs> Uh, and so the two of them together were very effective. The two of them separately were like, pick, pick, choose your adventure. Which, which one do you want to go on? <laughs> the known outcome or the unknown? Sometimes the unknown can be exciting. Adventure. That's a perfect brand name for 2020. <laughs> the 2020 know. adventure. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Let's not tag. That's almost then like making it like the word opportunity. You know, when yeah, people come yeah. to say, yeah, that's true. You're like, yeah, you got a problem you want me to fix. So if we brand 2020 as an adventure, you're ruining adventure. <laughs> okay. All right. That's great feedback. Noted. <laughs> or at least that's my opinion. I don't want to adventure to be tainted into, oh, no, let's not go on an adventure. <laughs> oh, buzzwords. Kyle the optimist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, optimistically, let's say it's an adventure on how we're making our way through it. You know, what's the adventure is the path to what's next. You know, what what we can create, which on the good days, <laughs> you're sitting back and saying, I have a lot of opportunity to create new and better because a lot of the old has been destroyed. Um, and on the bad days, you're like, I wish things were the way they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with that, I mean, what what do you think this new world of work is going to look like when we get through this? My son is in his first job. He started um, in July out of college and he's been going through like virtual onboarding and he's very extroverted. And so the fact that he had to start working from home without even meeting his boss was, was a real challenge. <laughs> and, and there were some bumps in the road along the way. Very smart kid, obviously, but really hard to kind of take all that in virtually. And I, I told him, I said, Andy, I wouldn't be a motivational speaker worth my salt if I didn't tell you that someday you're going to look back on this and say it was the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> and he looked at me like he always does when I say things like that. You know? so, um, but the reality is every hard thing, if you think about it in your life, I hope this is true for you. I know it's true for me. Every hard thing, every difficult thing that I look back on in my life, I have come out better. I have come out wiser. The majority of those cases, looking back, it actually wasn't as good as I thought it was. So I think the future for a lot of us as we get through this, I don't know what's next. You know, even with a, a vaccine, I don't think that means that it goes back to exactly the way it was. I think we've you know, reached a point in the workplace where we've had to really disrupt and do a lot of things differently. And some of those things will stay and some of them I think will cling to the way, you know, to get back to the way it was. I hope we choose wisely on those things. Um, you know, like again, talking to my son this weekend, they have allowed them they or have are able to come into work um, by last name every other week. You know, so they've divvied up their workforce by, you know, so three days of one week or two weeks every month, he gets to go into the office. But he said what it's turned into. I said, well, last week was your week to go in the office. How'd that go? And he goes, well, I went in, but there weren't a lot of people there. And I said, well, it was Labor Day weekend or week. And he said, yeah, but I think what it's turned into is that people are viewing this more as um, working from home, working from the office is optional. 
So they might come in for a half day to the office and then work from home for a half day, or they might choose to work from home all the time. And I think you're going to see more of that. And so for a lot of people, that's good. But on the other hand, I don't think I'm not in the camp of everybody going to be like, well, you know, work from the office is dead. You know, everybody, everybody wants to work from home. I am a massive introvert. I work from home. <laughs> I live alone. And I would kiss somebody right now if I could be in the same room with them <laughs> and then get fired for it if I worked in the corporate yeah. <laughs> But it's like, I think there was a, a, you may have seen some of the articles, uh, James Altucher wrote an article called New York is Dead, posted it on LinkedIn and got like huge traction a couple of weeks ago. You know, everybody hated on him. He's had death threats. It's just amazing to me um, because he wrote an article that said New York is dead. He presented a lot of data as to why he thinks, you know, because broadband now people moved out of New York to go to the country or to their summer home or to Florida or wherever to be safe. And now they realize because of, you know, stronger broadband, they can work from anywhere. Well, then, of course, if, you, if you've if you been following Jerry Seinfeld, for whatever reason, <laughs> wrote an article in the New York Times uh, bashing that New York is dead article and saying that New York will never go away. You know, New York is a, a spirit that, you know, you either you love it or you don't. And the people that love it will never leave it. But one of the things he said in there, I screenshot it. I sent it to a friend of mine. He said, nobody wants to work from home. Everybody hates it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's like. And I think what resonated with me is basically the way he described it is what I had been trying to articulate. It's flat. You know, like talking to you now is wonderful. I see your faces. Not everybody on the podcast, obviously, will see the video. I see your faces. So I do get the, you know, the feedback visually as to how you're responding to me. But it's flat. You know, it's not three dimensional. It's not you're in the room and I can feel your energy around my idea or I can feel that you're not following me. Um, And I think too many people miss that. Uh, So I think the future of work, again, long answer to your question is we'll be dealing with, uh, there's a lot, going to be a lot more options on the table for people as to how they work and that the smart HR leaders will be thinking about how do I Uh, consider those options to ensure that we have best people with the right skills to deliver on those business objectives, you know, kind of take it full circle. It's back to strategic thinking. Even if your leadership comes in and says, okay, vaccine, December 1st, January 1st, everyone back in the office, forget this work from home crap, you know, we're all coming back in. And then you have some people are like, but I kind of like it. And I've been way more productive and you know, I work in IT and I can do my job from home. The smart HR leaders will make the business case to their leadership to say, I've run the numbers. This person or this department or this type of role is much more productive working from home. And they, cho- you know, if they choose to, then it would benefit us as a business to let them rather than just saying, oh, sorry for you. Leadership said we had to get back in. I I would let you work from home. But, you know, the <laughs> boss says no. Or going into your boss and going, hey, look, the people just don't want to do it. No, it's it's how do I tell the story? What data do I need to tell that story? And what is the best decision for the business? And the people are part of the business. So in a lot of cases, we have to listen to them. You know, so it, I think the new the new world of work will be very complex for HR people because it's going to be a much more 
individualistic approach to how people accomplish and get work done. So I think it's going to force a lot of HR leaders to look at how do we best deliver on the business objectives. And we may not be able to say that that's a one-size-fits-all approach. I, th- I think that's that's such a great allegory is that, that it's flat. And and it, as you were describing it, I'm sitting here. So I'm, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm like so extroverted that like – if I don't have a conversation with someone new at least once a week, I'm, you know, I feel unfulfilled. Um, <laughs> but, but it's so hard to listen when you're talking to someone and truly feel what, what they're understand what they're feeling and uh, the mannerisms. And you mentioned feeling the energy in the room. I, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And then, you know, it's further compounded by the fact that I have three screens in front of me and I've, you know, one of them has the conversations going on. And then I've got another one with an email chirping here and another one with some, you know, something else going on on another screen or an Excel spreadsheet that I've been working on for 20 minutes and before the meeting. And it's just, I, I just, I feel like that in-person connection is so critical, uh, in, in many roles, but I, I do agree that we've got to be nimble. Mm-hmm. And and if we don't, I think the organizations that are set in their ways, eventually they just won't get the best talent on their team. No, and that's exactly it. The top the, talent will be go where they want. <laughs> and if and if HR's job is to deliver the talent the organization needs, then you know it is again. It's about making a business case. And all of us will have to evolve. Like for me. People will say, oh, well, you'll never be speaking on a conference stage again because conferences are going to, to go away. I'm like, eh, I see an awful lot of people who are dying to get back to a conference. Um, but I have to evolve because there now are a significant portion of more people who either like the virtual learning approach or in some cases now they've realized, well, hey, we're in. Uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, and we've not been able to get people to come up here and pay their own way to come and speak to our SHRM chapter, but we've realized now we can have, you know, a Zoom meeting with a speaker from anywhere in the world, you know, so there's benefits to it, you know, for someone like me who's a speaker, where now, yeah, you can access more people in a lot of ways, but I personally don't think that, you know, whenever we come through, I don't know, out, maybe we'll never get a vaccine. So, you know, we have, for example, uh, the first, today's September 8th when we're recording this. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, On September 10th, the first in-person Disrupt HR event will be held in Wellington, New Zealand since March the 11th. Um, And I'm super excited. And it's their first Disrupt HR event. But to do that, I mean, New Zealand has obviously managed the virus very well, but they also have some restrictions in place. They have to have less than 100 people at the event. They have to have people physically spaced apart. They have to wear masks. So, you know, they're finding a way to have an in-person event in a new way. You know, so I think we all have to think differently and take from this time back to that this will be the best thing that ever happened to you kind of motivational speaker advice the real important thing is to find the nuggets that you need to take forward and what you need to leave behind you know what is it that we've learned through this oh we've learned that people can work if some people can work effectively from home we've learned that you know we didn't have uh, a crisis response plan we've learned you know whatever we've learned 
that we can solidify into the future. But then also we can learn, hey, we never want to do that again. (laughs) Let's make sure in the next pandemic that we have a a bubble on site that we can put all of our employees in. (laughs) We'll do the NBA bubble in our workplace. I don't know. (laughs) I guess somebody did that very early on to make PPE. They did put their employees in a bubble for like um, days on end. I'm like, ah. I want to be in a bubble. I I do miss people, but, you know, I'd want to be like, okay, I've been in the bubble for a couple hours. I'm ready to leave now. (laughs) All I can picture is the Jake Gyllenhaal and Bubble Boy walking around with this bubble through the workplace. Um, That may be just in the not too distant future for all of us. (laughs) Hey, you want to go out in the world? Here's your bubble. The joke in manufacturing always is always, well, let's just wrap everybody in bubble wrap, you know, so they don't get injured. So, you know, it's it's, it's the same take on on an old problem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Jennifer, thank you so much for spending some time uh, with us today. I know we are at time. Uh, so where can our listeners get connected and find out more information about you? Yeah, well, you can find all things Jennifer McClure at jennifermcclure.net. From there, you can access the Impact Makers podcast and also on your favorite podcast player. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all those things. And you can find all things Disrupt HR at disrupthr.co. Even though we're not, except for New Zealand, having in-person meetings right now, there's over 5,000 videos out there of great talks for you to watch. So find your favorites and share them. Thank you so much, uh, Jennifer McClure. Great conversation. I wish we had another two hours to keep going and, and talking, but um, we'll uh, we'll end it here. And thank you again. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for having me. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy. Or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations. No animals. Baby.